Hello. Uh, so during our faculty development meeting on Friday, September 16th, we had a chance to break off into some small groups and just have a very organic discussion about what the phrase digital pedagogy actually means. Um, everyone did a really good job of kind of breaking off, getting into groups. Everyone took a microphone and a laptop and they went off and had a really excellent discussion uh, of their thoughts on digital pedagogy and that conversation is what can be heard here. So thanks for listening and enjoy. What is digital pedagogy? It is using technology to teach, teach, or obviously be teaching the students to use digital technology, right? Um, in our case, perhaps using using various digital technologies to in order to compose, compose. text, yeah. right? Um, your turn. I guess there's the question too of how technology and digital practices impact how we teach as well, right? Beyond kind of what we're teaching. Um, it also allows students to be aware of what's happening digital in their lives um, as the U.S. has gotten even more technologically inclined. Did you say the U.S.? Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, I'm just going to say, and this isn't, I don't have a definition of digital pedagogy. I last taught in a college classroom in 2002, um, and everything was on paper. And I came today because I didn't know what digital pedagogy really was. So I'm very interested in hearing more about it because it's very foreign to me. And I feel like in a very short time, the college classroom has transformed into something that I wouldn't recognize um, because of my absence. Well, we're all doing digital portfolios, right? Portfolios. Yeah. So how's that? What are we doing differently? So I googled it because that's what my students do in class. Oh, okay. is they it said, "Yeah, is an attempt to use technology to change teaching and learning in a variety of ways." <laughs> One of those ways, I think, is it allows students to be more creative. Um, when you have the standard written portfolio, it's basically in a format, usually MLA, and. When you put it online and make it digital, students are able to create it, use the kinds of fun fonts they want, design the website the way they want to. Gives them that kind of option. I think that's part of digital pedagogy. They're using more creative skills. Well, it, it certainly kind of exponentially opens up the number of rhetorical choices mm -hmm. that they have to make, which sometimes overwhelms them. It also expands the audience when previously it was a teacher reading a piece of paper and now the audience for student writing is immense. But how do we how do we teach differently when we're teaching them towards an e-portfolio versus I think that there's more, there could be more conversation among the students uh, with the teacher. There can also be conversation, I know, with paper, but because their interest is the digital world, for many of them it is, 
that then they are more eager to talk about it. And they, I think they see digital as being creative rather than analytical. So I'm going to let them be naive for a while, you know? Yeah. So. <laughs> well, I think one thing that comes up uh, when we're using any of these uh, technologies in, in the classroom, I don't know if anybody got a chance to read Jan's reflections mm -hmm. on the DMAC. She had one of her bullet points was, or, or maybe it wasn't even a bullet point, that was near the bottom of her uh, takeaways, is what it was called, um, was that she finds that if she's trying to do something new with technology in the classroom, she's spending hours trying to learn the technology. Uh, and so that gave her a sense of what it was like to be a student. And she doesn't want her students to spend hours and hours trying to learn the technology, which is not ultimately what the class is about. Um, and I think that is something I've run into with just with e-portfolios mm -hmm. as whatever platform I'm getting the students to use, I end up having to troubleshoot and, and often mm -hmm. troubleshoot things that I'm not qualified. Mm -hmm. you know, I get a lot of technical questions. Mm -hmm. uh, and that does feel like it takes away from a limited pool of resources. Mm -hmm. You know, I've only got so many hours in the day to answer student questions. And it starts to be, how do I put a button on the mm -hmm. site that will take my reader to something else? And I don't know how to do that. And yeah. So I, I do find that uh, drawback. One of the things that Jan's uh, takeaway was that she's thought about just asking students to describe what they would do ideally, not actually do it mm -hmm. they, if they can't, but what would you do? And I think that, that does allow them to engage with the digital world, hypothetically at least, mm -hmm. at the same time that they're making all those rhetorical choices. This is what my text would look like if I had the technical capability to do it. Um, so I'm assuming they're going to need some kind of hybrid course, like maybe before you take writing, you have to have this computer class where they just do an overview of how to create different types of files. And I mean, because yeah, if they're asking you how to do it, and it's, I'll spend hours, and I know they're not going to spend hours trying to figure out this mm -hmm. stuff. And then I feel bad if I can't answer the question, and I don't want them to think that I don't know what I'm talking about because I don't know how to make that button. Yeah. It is not, I mean, like, part of these composing processes are just adapting to what will be the standards um, very quickly, maybe even by the end of the semester sometimes. And, you know, some of the questions we have, like, well, how do we do this complex button adding to a website will just be a widget that we drag in on our, you know, the next, the next semester's website. So, you know. I think there's value in struggling with those questions, which may not end up, you know, being time consuming later. I was thinking about a kind of related thing when we were doing um, peer reviews in class this week, and I thought it would be so much faster than the old paper versions where they'd bring in two copies and then switch because for some reason finding two people and giving two paper copies to people and receiving two always seemed to take. 15 minutes, just like figuring that out. I would be so much fun. And it took the exact same amount of time switching papers or, um, you know, granting access to two of their peers in their Google Drive for their their um, document. So I had to think later, like, you know, well, what are the, you know, so it wasn't a time savings <laughs> at all. They're um, still learning things. What are the, you know, advantages to that? And some of my students were asking, like, oh, if we didn't finish those questions, can we go back and do them later? And that, they couldn't do that on the paper, like if it were a paper copy, because they would go back to the student writer. Mm -hmm. um, but they could do that now. 
and I can still see those updates later, you know, even beyond. So, I don't, I don't know. It's we're making weird, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like we're, yeah, we're making choices, and they don't always. It's not always like forward progress. It feels, but I don't know. It seems like there are going to be many advantages to them as they struggle with that because it'll be more and more essential that they collaborate in digital spaces, for instance, rather than bringing hardcover or hard paper. One thing that I had encountered in my previous institution, we were using Digication, a proprietary platform for ePortfolios, um, and having lots of discussions around that. And I found a lot of my colleagues approach that with, oh, they're, they're digital natives, they're kids, they know all this stuff. And that was never my experience. They know how to consume mm -hmm. in the digital world, but they don't know how to produce. I mean, the, the, probably the same percentage that ever knew how to do that mm -hmm. are still the ones who know how to produce it. Um, so that's not how I ended up using up a lot of time trying to figure out how to put a button on this page mm -hmm. and all that, help them figure that kind of stuff out. Uh, but I, yeah, I don't find that they know how to compose in a digital space uh, any better than people who are a lot older than them, uh, necessarily. But then there's a lot of choices. They have to make design choices. Mm -hmm. And I always feel compelled Do we need to teach them mm -hmm. design because that says a lot about the content how it looks on the page. You have to consider that in addition to the words. I feel very uncomfortable. Yeah. So, and that's a lot. Yeah. But that's a lot, though. When they, their word choices sometimes aren't that great. And then now we're throwing, think about how it looks in addition yes. to what you're saying. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. I wondered about that coming from the old school um, and just having gotten back drafts from their first big writing assignment and realizing some of these kids just, they need they need work on basic writing skills. And we've got all this technological stuff going on in the classroom now, but really at the foundation of it, they need to work on their writing. Um, and I agree with what you're saying, it's such a distraction or there's all these extra things that come with the classroom now that, and I wonder what balance do you strike between working on writing, which is what this class is, versus all of this other stuff that now we have to add to the curriculum in the classroom. And it seems like since they're even getting rid of a class, or two classes now, right? 101, or two. It almost would, could be that you could work on the writing in 1101, and then build on that and make it right. more digital once they sort of master some things. So it's, it's interesting that they're even taking less opportunity away, or less time to spend. And now we'll just have 1104 ultimately, and that's everything in that one semester that everybody will take, not just the people who tested out of 1101 and So I think it's going to get tougher. Yes, and just from what I saw from the 22 rough drafts that I looked at, there there is work to be done on basic writing skills. And I worry that they will go through my class but still move into life and the rest of their education not having the skills they need to communicate clearly with professionals or professors or peers. The medium impacts kind of what, you know, what demands are placed on those writings. So I think it'd be, I just don't know how one could separate because there wouldn't be a pure form of writing and then a kind of digital writing. like. You know, because they'll probably they'll be emailing their their bosses. They'll be. Yeah, I you think know. I'm thinking more about the portfolio. Yeah. Ultimately, 
that throws a lot at them. But yeah, they're always going to have to write digitally. Yeah, and those would demand different things from their writing. Um, what basic writing looks like and all of those places will probably be really different. professors about how they would define the term digital pedagogy. I think it's interesting that we have to discuss defining this term because there are so many other terms that we use interchangeably with it that I think confuse us and our students such as multimodality, multiliteracies, uh, all those kinds of things. So I think we need to sort of um, think about uh, coining one term so that it's concrete. Wow. The layers are getting really thick here. I think I'm going to have to visit some other professors to get a better idea of what's really going on with this digital pedagogy thing. Now I'm here with Suzanne. And Suzanne, as I talked to uh, my last interviewee, she seemed to be struggling with defining this term as well as understanding its place in modern writing instruction. Do you have any thoughts on the matter? Uh, I'm struggling with the term, too. Um, for me, right now, teaching 1104, I'm developing online modules for my students, so I'm thinking through how to best present information to them um, di digitally only without my support um, and trying to give them hours sometimes worth of work to do independently without me every week. Um, and I'm also trying to figure out how to better help them communicate digitally through their e-portfolios and the website builders that they're choosing to work with. So to me, right now, digital pedagogy means both of those things. Wow. It does seem like there's so much for students to learn, but it also seems like the professors are trying to learn a lot as well. This seems to be such a modern moment in writing history. But still, I want to know more. Okay, as I've been listening to these great discussions about digital pedagogy, one thing that I've noticed is there seems to be some tension between this term digital pedagogy and this term multimodality. So as we want to learn a little bit more about this digital pedagogy, I would like to ask Mia to try to discuss what her opinion is about the difference between pedagogy in the digital sense and multimodality as a way of composing? Well, I understand um, some of the difficulties that students have with understanding what multimodality means. Um, and I think one of the things that I try to explain is that everything is multimodal, but when we're working on these digital platforms, it just makes it more obvious that there are visual and aural and gestural modes that they can play with and work with. So working in these digital spaces makes them more, um, more flexible, adaptable writers with a much stronger rhetorical awareness and able to read and write a lot of different types of texts. Could I ask you one more question? Which comes first, multimodality or digital pedagogy? We talk about multimodality first and talk about and play with what um, what multimodality is, what different modes are. We look at some different types of text. We watch videos and things like that. 
and then we start working with some of these um, digital spaces and writing on their websites and things like that. I'm starting to get a handle on this. It seems to me it's really important for students to be able to compose in multiple ways to multiple audiences and that it might be the fact that they will disseminate their text in a digital manner, thus the need for digital pedagogy. But still, I need to know more. Okay, as I try to get a, even a deeper handle on this digital pedagogy thing, I'm heading down to the classroom. And here I find Jesse. Yes, Jesse, I've been hearing a lot of great theoretical and definitional um, explanations of digital pedagogy, but what I really want to know is what goes on in the classroom. Could you talk to me about a goal or an um, actual activity that your students do that could help us better understand this concept? One of my goals in my class is to have students realize that what they're doing in terms of writing for class is related to the type of writing they already do all the time. So I ask them to create a text of any kind. It can be digital, it can be a Twitter feed, it can be a YouTube video. It needs to be something that goes beyond my classroom so that they can see their own digital composing in the real world. Digital pedagogy for us um, is not necessarily alphanumeric. It's uh, pictures and many other kinds of things, such as sounds, uh, combined to create uh, a whole experience in learning. Okay. Yeah, um, I think in terms of pedagogy, the you know bringing the theory into the practice, we have to kind of consider the. Uh, ideologies of the frameworks even within the digital landscape um, and the complexities that that kind of go along with that um, it gives us a, a terrain to chronicle and archive and reflect and make connections uh, in unique ways that are both tangible and elusive um, yeah. so yeah excellent yeah. and I think it you know we have to especially as writing teachers, we have to consider not just the content of the writing and, and your typical knowledge of conventions to use an SLO, but we're you know, talking about genre and a lot of things with design and user friendliness, and of course, you've got universal design and students having access that might have certain limitations, so it's asking us to do a lot more, yeah. I think, than what we're used to. Um, and it, it uh, services many different kinds of learners, mm -hmm. not just uh, uh, print learners, but, uh, uh, you know, what do you call visual learners mm -hmm. and different kinds of learners. So it really can, it's like a container to uh, invite many more people into the process mm -hmm. of learning. Yeah, and translingual. Yeah, translingual, that's right. That's right. Definitely yeah. be, and I mean, it yeah. really, you know, when we look at the digital landscape, again, thinking about the genre, thinking about all these things, um, you know, the, the kind of isolated uh, text is, is really completed, right? Um, and, you know, uh, the isolated text never being an isolated text, but it, it brings that to the surface, you know, and, and what does translingual mean, not just for language, but the the iterations of language in different forms of compositions. Mm -hmm. Even going back to what you were saying, uh, universality mm -hmm. is that 
many people jumped into digital pedagogy very early on saying this this will be the universality this will allow for us to deal with uh, issues that arise especially with students who are having learning issues who are having learning disabilities who are having learning concerns and it's a way to gain access but it's also a way if we're not careful mm -hmm. shut out mm -hmm. by right. types of learners so right. again what we're seeing is if you're using video that's great that works for a large population but if the person uh, needs them we make we need to make sure that we also have access to titles mm -hmm. to go along with it so that they can read the text mm -hmm. as it plays uh, I've, I've had a student before who was 96% deaf and when we played music in class she had already discussed this with me ahead of time she would come up and put her hand on the device that was playing music and she could feel the sound waves coming through and she could keep perfect time and tempo mm -hmm. with it so as she read whatever was being played mm -hmm. she could feel the music and several students said I think that it's neat that you can hear through your hands <laughs> and so for me that's a way that it's becoming universal is that it's allowing us to cross sensory boundaries and that to me also makes it truly more multimodal than not uh, but again we have to make sure that we're incorporating these different forms mm -hmm. and not just trying to cram in as much of one type as possible. Right. I think we have to be sensitive to what the students needs are depending on who's in the population right. of, our, of our classes and that changes from semester to semester, class mm -hmm. to class. Yeah, I could see teaching as a way of an, a certain assignment that can be done in different modes for different students mm -hmm. and graded that way or given points that way because each would have their own criteria. I think and another thing that's interesting about it is especially when we think about our assignments and the way that we give them, you know, we're, we're starting to have to kind of rethink how we present the materials because that can then become a model. Right for what students do and I mean sometimes that's a real challenge because we have enough we have enough to do already <laughs> but it but it's good at the same time because we can show students you know that process and how sometimes it is difficult and I think sometimes it's easy for us you know just because they're tech savvy with the phone we automatically assume that that's going to transfer to the types mm -hmm. of multimodal assignments we might ask them to do when in actuality it can, it can be just as difficult if not more for them you know, as it is for us as we explore various ways of going. Good example is Canvas. Mm -hmm. yeah. They're yeah. struggling just like we are. Right, right. right. Well, I think, we're talking about Canvas a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, something that you made me think of was, I mean, it seems pretty obvious, but, like, ultimately, I mean, digital pedagogy, it's still a pedagogy. <laughs> and I think that that's something that's really important to not focus so much on digital and separate it from the pedagogy mm -hmm. and that it, that comes with you know and uh, values and expectations and experience mm -hmm. and ideology and all these other things that we need to try to be aware of because yes you know every semester we're going to have a group, different group of students we're going to continue to evolve in our, our thinking um, but that's grounded again mm -hmm. in right. our theory, right? Yeah. Um, so I think that we have to be cognizant mm -hmm. of those things. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think it's easy to get really caught up in the bells and whistles. Mm-hmm. You know, something, you know, even if we think about, like, portfolios and all the wonderful assessment and sometimes frustrating assessment we've done with portfolios, <laughs> it, can, it can get really easy to look at those and be like, oh, wow, this, you know, is great. Mm-hmm. And look at how, you know, all the stuff that it can do. But then when you get down to it and read the content, there really isn't a whole lot there. Right. And so I think it's... In substance. Yes. Flash. Right. And right. we have students who are so convinced that I can blind her with flat right. and distractify them. Distraction. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. They will not see that there is no content. Right. Right. And maybe. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just say one way to keep our feet on the ground with that is the SLOs. You know, mm-hmm. the, uh, what constitutes, con, you know, conventions mm-hmm. in the digital world versus, mm-hmm. you know, the, the regular essay type of thing, sure. alphanumeric or, right. uh, or, you know, or other mm-hmm. things. So if we keep our eye on the SLO, what we want them to transfer, we can maybe make the pedagogy a little mm-hmm. more specific. <laughs> I think we have to also be careful of, you know, how many platforms we're asking them to use in the context of a class. Uh, it's imp- it's important because you know it can become quickly overwhelming to students. You know, having to manage. You know, not not only are we ch- asking them to grapple with these difficult concepts, but then we're asking them to do various complex tasks with the technology or the platform. And it's easy for the message to get lost, and it's easy for us to sometimes I think become blind to you know how fantastic you know this this platform is and not see what some of the limitations are and how that can cause problems for not you know, actually getting work done. Right. Rigorous work done in the class. Well, you know, and that's just keeping the accountability of bottom up to top down. Yes. You know, you should be able to connect, you know. Again, I keep going back to, you know, what you're thinking, mm-hmm. you know, the theory and what you're doing. Um, I, that's kind of like landing, I guess. Mm-hmm. I found one of the things that's helpful for me is not to simply tell the students what I want out of a genre, but actually I've started doing an activity in classes called Box of Genres, and each group gets a different box, and it has examples of a kind of genre in a box, and they have to define what that genre means, they have to come up with criteria for it, and then they have to come up with a good example as a group and design one. And they're kind of surprised that, oh, wow, there's actually things that we have to look for. Mm -hmm. So, Andy, then, like, how does that, uh, as I'm trying to think, with the digitalness, like, because I could see us doing that, you know, so I'm just trying to figure out your question. What makes a good e-portfolio, for example, Uh then we give them guidelines. For example, we mm-hmm. give them our assignment sheet, we give them our rubric, we show them what we expect from it, we even show them examples. But I like to start off by having them practice with smaller things. Like, okay, well, let's look at what makes a good article that you would find on the internet. And not just look at it from a research standpoint, but look at it from what would you compose and what would you expect to find? What would you hope other people would find? What would you expect from a digital map? Mm-hmm. What would you expect from a video? And 
for a lot of them, they, they could, well, a video would have a lot of effects, and it would have music, and it would have dancers. So then what is digital? And do we want to give so much direction that they all look the same? You have to be careful that yeah. you're not... I think that's where, you know, if we're talking about, you know, there, I think some design element direction is important because we have to figure out, you know, user-friendliness and what works. But I think, you know, if the guidelines tend to focus on the content and asking them to grapple with these issues, then they still have a lot of freedom to do a lot of you know, interesting things with the design that supports the content, doesn't distract, but supports. And I think that, you know, having those conversations in class, that's really hard for them to make that connection. Well, I think something I had talked to you about previously with the portfolio was that I was trying to instead make a shift to, you know, what is this supposed to do? Because yeah. genre is being actions. I was describing more of the action, the activity, and then they composed around that activity. Um, but I, I, I have a question in my head of how do we define digital? Right. So how do you define digital? I, I, I'm thinking that through. <laughs> well, I don't think that it has to be necessarily online. It can be, you know, and I think it has to be on software. Does that make sense? It has to be designed, like yeah. Well, I, I think you have to have some type of program, and it has to be software. It's not some type of hardware. So, yeah. but it doesn't have to be actually on the internet because you can do this kind of, you know, yeah. digital composition in a Word document. Right. You know, right. you can do it in some of these programs that we think of as kind of old-fashioned or more simplistic. They're not. You just have to know how to push the boundaries of it. So, And when new things come out, we feel like we've got to use those new things and abandon mm -hmm. the old, and sometimes they're just fine. They just need to be tweaked. Right. And so this would be making a distinction between technology mm -hmm. and digital. Because technically a pen is technology. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, right. I see what you're saying. And... Yeah. You know, uh, analog mm -hmm. is technology. So, are we separating analog from digital? Are we? I'm just curious about what that. You know, if we're, if it's digital yeah. mm -hmm. pedagogy, what are we defining as digital? Would it be? Yeah. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, is it something other than a paper document with words on a, pa a piece of paper? Or is it that for me it's got to be beyond simply composing the words in a document file, it's got to be somehow transcended or transformed beyond that. So it's beyond electrical, electric, because we can well, download it's, it's the electric beyond, file. It's beyond that, that word file class. Right. So it's beyond technology, it's beyond electrical because we can electrically download yeah. documents yeah. right we yeah. do it with peer-reviewed articles all the time right. but we don't call those mm -hmm. digital articles mm -hmm. right yeah. um yeah. and that's the conversation i've been having with students who are going to be developing a digital article right. you right. know like how do we differentiate and how can we imagine what this space that's is for question. us because yeah. we're just doing electric downloads yeah. not yeah. You know, so and it doesn't have to be out there on the web for everyone no. to see. Right. It can be internal. 
But then that would be hardware might potentially come back into play then. Yeah, could be. Is it? No. Is it hardware? Because if you're the hardware has to do with like the build of the computer and the hard drive and all that stuff. The program is what you have to use, the software, to do the things. For instance, like if we take very, very simple, like, and I'm thinking back to the days of, like, uh, uh, audio cassette tapes, right? There's no software. We'll pass. But they actually did a. Yeah. I mean, I'm just yeah. saying. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's it's the it's more than yeah. 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 that. That was the digital standard. <laughs> so now we're talking about digital standard. <laughs> but like headphones, even. That was the digital standard. Is that we've now progressed to options beyond that. Mm-hmm. Because at one time, you know, the, the golden, magnificent award went to 8 track. Yeah. We've got a it never went minutes. to eight tracking. Yeah. So we stopped. We so we're signing off now. I think we have the answer. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. We've got lots of answers. Yeah. How, do you, how do we stop?